Welcome to Excavate, uncovering our place in God's story. I'm Heather Strongmore. And I'm Jamie Dawn. This week, we're closing out our summer short series and season two by discussing a significant moment in the early church that illustrates a profound care for widows. The apostles have their first moment of laying on of hands and sending forth out of the church. And this becomes a blueprint for the early church. So clearly this is an important moment in their life together. Let's dig in. So we see this pretty significant moment in the life of the early church. This is shortly after Pentecost. This is um, after they are starting to experience some persecution from the outside, um, some pretty significant persecution for the early church. They've already prayed for boldness in the face of persecution and experienced a little bit more persecution as a result. And then they actually have their first kind of internal struggle here where we're about to pick up. So we are mostly seeing their difficulties coming from the outside and they are pretty united. Um, they do have a moment with Anais and Sapphira um, before this. So that, that I guess is it the first real internal conflict. So it's, it's dealt with quite swiftly in their subsequent deaths. Um, this is a little bit less dark. Um, so we're picking up in this moment where there's two different groups among the church. So I think it might be helpful before we read to name that, uh, because there's the Hellenistic Jews and the Hebraic Jews. So um, as we know from reading many stories together throughout the Old Testament and um, and early in the life of Jesus, even him going to different villages and different places, we see that there's a Jewish diaspora. And so the Jews have landed in other places, some of which out of slavery, some of which out of um, a scattering. So we're seeing that there's Jewish communities living in all these different places. It was kind of traditional that Jews even those who were from different places would come back to Jerusalem for kind of almost their retirement. Um, obviously didn't quite exist as we know retirement in the, in the West, but basically as they're getting older, they return to Jerusalem as kind of this chosen place. And so that's where we see these two groups coming together and the Hellenistic Jews are Jews who have decided to speak Greek out of their where they have found themselves. So um, these are all Jews who have come to believe in Jesus, um, but are of Jewish heritage. So we don't yet see the the Greeks as a part of the church um, until later in in their life together. Um, but we do see Jews who would come to know Jesus but would be people who spoke Greek. Anything you have to add to that, Heather? I think that's good. I think there's always the possibility at that time that anything less than what was seen as pure Judaism would be looked down upon or seen as some kind of threat. We're not totally sure how much that may or may not have been in play in this story, but that is worth just keeping in mind that 
like we talked about in our last episode or two episodes ago, rather, that there was a great deal of zeal for preserving the, the faith, for keeping Judaism pure. And so some of that became misplaced or then they became legalistic and they became prejudiced. So as we read, it's very possible that that is at least some element, probably, hopefully not strongly, but that there is some, a little bit of in-group, out-group viewpoint there. Yeah, that's true. Um, we can unpack that a little bit more probably as we uh, read the passage, because we'll see a little bit um, of that kind of in-group, out-group in the midst of this. So we're picking up an Acts 6, and we'll read verses 1 through 7. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also, Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Simon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So there's a lot happening here in these these few verses. They are, the Hellenistic Jews are saying, our widows are being overlooked in the daily distribution of food, which to me, part of that is striking because I think in our Western culture, we can almost look at the early church with kind of this utopian view and say, either like it didn't really happen like that they weren't really distributing food every day like that or kind of this like oh it was so perfect and we see that both things are that they really are distributing food and there's a little that's hard for them there's still conflict there's still humans involved in this so the the hellenistic jewish widows are being overlooked now some of this like you said heather about the the out group it could be that there's kind of like a hellenistic ghetto of sorts um and so they might be like in a different area and so it literally is just difficult so they can't get to the area as well so it could be really a logistical issue it could be um an ethnic issue it could be that they don't know them as well because these like we said, they could have been a part of the diaspora coming back so the apostles wouldn't like be as familiar with those widows as maybe some of the others who were a part of the community. So there's a lot that kind of could be happening there. Um, but they say, you know what, we're going to need more hands to do this, basically, and that it would not be right for them to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables which I have heard often said with quite a tone to it, like 
we can't wait on tables. And I just don't think that's what's happening here. I think they're very clear on like, someone needs to be, we missed this when Jesus was in our midst, that he is the Messiah. So we are still kind of unpacking the scriptures. We're still teaching people what it is to follow Jesus. And we can't stop doing that. So we need more people. And we get the importance of it when we see that these are people they're instructed to choose people who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom and that later on they're they're prayed over in a very significant way so i don't think this is like we can't do that job that's just too lowly for us um i i don't get that sense whenever i read this though i understand how someone might as they are reading it through our western lens yeah, I do think that's so important to talk about the potential tone. And I totally agree with you. And I think part of what's going on is at that time, it was very important that apostles were preachers and they had a, a particular calling because they had learned directly from Jesus. And so that was an important distinction. And we see that, and we've talked about this in season one, when we also were talking about Acts and Paul's ministry, that there are women who are called apostles, which was a very important honor to be known as that of having learned directly from Jesus. So to me, it's more that they have a unique calling because Jesus did. They walked with Jesus, observed his ministry up close, heard all his teachings, etc. So that's something that not everyone can do and that they want to be clear and thoughtful and really pressing into the calling that they received to preach and to preach the words of Christ. And that that's not necessarily true for serving, that serving could be done by any number of people. So to me, it's a little bit more that they're saying in their lane, if you will, and not just trying to micromanage, which I think is good leadership, <laughs> that they're willing to delegate and willing to raise up other leaders and not think that they need to control everything or have the power in every area of the ministry, but they actually do want to raise up other people to, to serve and connect with the community alongside of them. Yeah, that's good. I, I agree. I think it's like, this to me feels like really healthy leadership that we all should be learning from of like, what does it look like to know what you're called to do and empower others to do things that they might be called to do. So um, something to note here too, is these are all Greek names. So these are all people who would be Hellenistic Jews who are then going to care for the widows among them. And so we do see like, there's probably a bit of a, a cultural element. We don't know like how much of that was actually the uh, prejudice related to that, like how deep that was, but the the word of like they were complaining against the hebraic jews i think we are supposed to kind of get that grumbling tone of the jews in the wilderness um and this idea of like a complaining that would be kind of like a rumbling so you want to pay attention to it you want to address it before it becomes a real communal issue um, which again, I think shows good leadership from the apostles that they are attentive to like 
this is a real need and we aren't going to ignore it say it's silly say like oh you just don't understand what's actually happening here they they take seriously the complaints and are able to then like figure out how to meet those needs yes i think that's such a crucial important point to note that they don't get defensive they don't refuse to believe them just the fact that they believe them right away is somewhat shocking to us and to things that we still struggle with in modern society and the modern church that anytime a subgroup would come forward and say hey there's discrimination happening in the community in the congregation in the body it is so easy to get defensive to kind of shift blame to say why are you attacking me <laughs> um to take it as a personal attack and so i think it's really such an important model and example that there is some kind of clear discrimination and like you said Jamie it, it's happening along social lines like um cultural ethnic lines that it's between the Hellenistic and Hebraic Jews. So there's some kind of distinction being noted, whether it was intentional or not. Chances are it might've been unintentional. That's kind of how humans work. We tend to gravitate towards those who are like us. And like you said, that maybe they already knew, you know, whatever it might've been. But for the apostles to then, when they hear that this prejudice is happening, this oversight that's based on discrimination, that they say, okay, we need to figure out something else so that we can resolve this so this doesn't keep happening. And just the fact that, again, they don't get defensive, they don't downplay it, they don't take it personally, they don't see it as an attack, they believe them and say, that's not okay. That's not what we want to be known for. That's not how we want the body of Christ to function. So we're going to do something to address it is really remarkable and something that I wish that we talked about more as a, a model for how do we handle discrimination in the modern church today. Yeah, that's so good. I think part of this too, we, we only get this kind of between the lines, but we obviously know that the widows have on some level spoken up. So people are aware that they don't have the food that they are supposed to have. And then other people speak up on their behalf as well, um, because it says they, like, in general, the Hellenistic Jews were bringing this issue. And I think that's really compelling, too, this idea that, like, both the widows were willing to say, hey, we we actually didn't get our food today or last week or, you know, whatever regularity that was happening in. And then... The fact that other people are willing to advocate and say, this is something that we really need to take care of. And so I think that combination is really compelling. And later in the New Testament, we have James who tells us like, that's what pure worship really is to care for the widows, to hear those concerns and then say, we have to do something about it. So I think I love that there's a kind of a, combined advocacy here and a solidarity with the widows and I think that shows a lot about that community that um that this was taken so seriously absolutely and I 
think it's such a good example of women being heard <laughs> and honored for speaking up and for sharing when some kind of inequality was happening. And that too, gosh, I wish that the church was paying closer attention to this story. How much, especially women who are victims of forms of abuse within the church, how much they are dismissed, how much they are berated and degraded for speaking up. We are so bad at listening to women when women raise an issue or some kind of harm that's taking place in the church. And again, I think it's so profound that these women, one, just have the strength to to share and to name what's going on and that then they have the support of their community to come alongside them and spread the word essentially about what's going on. This is such a small story that would be so easy to, to miss. And we tend to focus specifically on the deacons and to say, look, this is the birth of the diaconate <laughs> is what it's called, the order of deacons. And so we'll you often tell, we may reference this story in like church history or church polity about this is where deacons come from, from this story. But we don't really pause to look at who are the women who are the catalyst behind this structure. And it's because they were willing to tell the truth and because they had people who believed them and also joined with them in telling the truth. And then we have leaders who take that seriously and respond in a healthy way. That is such a stunning example of how to handle inequality and harm in the modern church. And we can learn so much from just these first couple of verses. Yeah, I think you're right. Because again, like we get a whole aspect of order in the church out of this. And so it's not a small thing. It's not something to be overlooked. We actually get the beginnings of church order and leadership as a result of it. And so that's clearly pretty significant um, in the life of the church as, as we still know it. And yet we don't always know that care for the widow in our modern churches. And so I think to me, this is such an encouragement to think about what that really looks like and how we can be living into that care for the marginalized among us. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And you had mentioned it already, Jamie, that the names of the deacons who are appointed, they're Greek names, which unless we had a study Bible, we normally wouldn't note that because we don't know as Western modern Americans, we don't really know the difference between Jewish and Greek names. But the fact that they are from the marginalized group is fascinating and such an important example of equity that there's a group that's being marginalized, that's experiencing some form of discrimination and harm. That group speaks up. The apostles then say, okay, let's let that group now handle the solution to the problem that's been occurring. That rarely happens. Usually the group that's in power, if they respond at all, which doesn't always happen, if they respond at all, they'll be like, okay, thanks for your feedback. We'll fix it. We'll change what we're doing, but we'll still re retain all the power and control and structure. And it is so important that the disciples make a structural shift that involves those who are marginalized and gives them leadership and authority to make sure that the issue that caused it can be fully addressed and fully resolved. 
that again is such an, an a remarkable example of sharing power of listening well of empowering people of not just thinking okay well i now i, I had a lot to learn and I, I took some time away to do the work and now i'm just going to come back and keep <laughs> holding all the power um, but instead they give power away to ensure that the harm doesn't continue and that we see that so rarely and yet here is this really beautiful example of it in the early church yeah that's so important and i think like you said it's really compelling that they are like oh well surely you know who among you like if part of the problem here is that we don't actually know these women very well um then let's find people who do and let them be a part of the solution and again i think some of that comes back to how we read their delegation as well and if we actually believe it's empowering which i do think it is um then i think we see this so accurately of them really taking it seriously really empowering people to live into like meeting the needs of their community what i love is the way this passage wraps up with the fact that the church continues to grow and it seems to be that these ideas are linked. And so whether that's that they are able to have really clear responsibilities of who's responsible for preaching and teaching and who's responsible for living into the teachings that they receive. Um, but I do think that there has to be something to like the care for the community that they are a part of is a part of what causes many to come to faith. And I love the mention of priests in particular, because they would have been people who also are responsible for caring for the widows. And so to me, the fact that that's included in this passage feels important and actually does feel linked. Like these are not separate thoughts, but that they, they are really linked together in the story of the beginnings of the early church. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. That truly living out their faith is something that stirs people, is something that draws people to encounter Christ for the first time or in new ways. Yeah, because this is all demonstrating communities that we would want to be part of. It's demonstrating openness and listening. It's demonstrating trust that you can trust each other to tell the truth and then be heard and respond. It's demonstrating equity and and belonging it's demonstrating healthy leadership and delegation that it's not just leaders who are power hungry and are seeing this as a way to build their platform it's leaders who are demonstrating a zeal for christ a hunger for the spread of the gospel and so they're gonna raise up other people to help that their priority is the gospel not their own power or leadership those are all beautiful things and no wonder that leads to growth because that is that's something that we would all want to be part of hopefully many of us are part of communities like that but it's something that i think we all long for and look for in for sure a church community but even in any other form of friendship or just organization or workplace these are all things that would make any group really healthy and thriving yeah, I think that's so good because we we do see this kind of knitting together and 
so often we leave the church growth and like people coming to faith to the teaching and and yet it does seem to be that there's something about the life lived together that is what draws people into this community um so not something you typically hear taught as the church growth strategy and yet seems to be how it happened early on yes and also i think it's such a an important reminder that conflict can lead to growth when it's handled healthily and in a godly way that sometimes we avoid conflict at all costs we see it again as maybe people being troublemakers questioning authority you know all these things that we can probably think of examples amongst church leaders who shut down any kind of opposition who kind of insulated themselves so that they could hold on to their power and even just as humans for most of us conflict is is uncomfortable it's not something that we normally long to do (laughs) um so sometimes some of us are just conflict avoidant or we think that peace and harmony is an absence of conflict and and really you know martin luther king jr has talked about this in really important ways um peace is the presence of of justice of equality so peace isn't just a lack of conflict it's actually enabling or like responding to conflict in healthy ways that resolves it in real ways that can then allow all of us to move forward together. And so I do think this is also an important reminder that as churches, we have the opportunity to handle conflict in ways that actually build trust, that build connection, that build inclusion and involvement. And so conflict in and of itself isn't the enemy. It's really how we handle it and respond to it and how we're inviting the Lord to guide us through it. That is the key. Conflict itself, when handled in a godly way, can lead to to growth and deepening of the community. That's so good. Because we, we see quite the opposite of how many people in the church, if we're honest, respond to conflict, which is usually a punishment of those who have brought it. Mm-hmm. And in this community, we see actually the opposite, that there's a welcomeness and openness and actually like wow, it seems like you have seen something that we missed. How would you like to be a part of it? Um, and I think that's so compelling to to have that response and to be reminded that like, this is not, if, if you are someone who is willing to engage conflict, you can start to doubt yourself around that. Of like, mm-hmm. am I just the troublemaker? And I think it's really helpful to, to have this reminder that actually the the response of the early church was to to live into that and to do quite the opposite of like a punishment moment um as a result Mm -hmm. yeah it's so special so we hope that this has been an encouraging a good word for you if you have potentially grown up in churches or environments where this was not true for you We hope that this is a healthy reminder that it is possible and that it is God's design for Christian community, that we would be able to bring our whole selves, that we would be able to be honest, to name when things are wrong and to listen well to each other and respond together. And so if that hasn't been your experience, we pray that this passage can be an encouragement that this is indeed what God longs for, for you and for your communities. 
And if this has been your experience in churches, and hopefully the church where you are now, then let's rejoice in that we are following the Lord wholeheartedly and moving our lives and our communities in line with scripture. So we have had such a blessed experience in our season two with all of you. Thank you so much to everyone who's listened, everyone who shared the podcast, all of our special guests this season. It has been a real joy. Jamie and I are looking forward to a little bit of rest and a chance to plan for season three. So we'll be back in a couple months this fall. Make sure you're following our social media on Facebook and Instagram. And you can make sure that you're keeping in touch with what we're doing during the hiatus and when we will we'll be coming back. We also would love any episode ideas. If you have ideas that you'd like to share, topics that you're thinking about, passages that have made you scratch your head, please do get in contact with us on social media. We would love to think about incorporating your ideas into season three. So we are so thankful for y'all. We're looking forward to a little bit of rest and then we're looking forward to being back again for season three. Thanks for digging in with us. 